If you will, uh, open up in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 27. Uh, this is the first message of a three-part um, series uh, called Life Together. As we're moving toward uh, the beginning of community groups, uh, we want to really take time to focus in on why it is that we gather as a community of faith, why it is important that we live life together, why it's essential that we understand what the role of the church is, and that the church is not coming on Sunday and hearing the professional preach, but that the church is you and I knit together by the Spirit of Christ dwelling within each of us. We are baptized into his body, and he is within us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Every single person has a significant role to play in the communication of the gospel to a lost world. And so this is why we are taking the time to really examine what it means to live life together, what it means to be the body of Christ. And we're going to focus in today on Paul's beautiful words to the Corinthian church using this metaphor of being members of one body, Christ being the head. I want to begin with a quote from William Temple. William Temple, great, great English uh, thinker and, and, and pastor, once wrote, the church is the only cooperative society in the world which exists for the benefit of its non-members. Uh, let me just state that again. We're the only cooperative society in the world which exists for the benefit of its non-members. Now, the truth and the power of that statement is greatly dependent upon a right understanding of what our relationship should be like within, as members of the body of Christ. Our ability to fulfill that call to witness is deeply dependent upon our commitment and connection to one another. Jesus' very words to his disciples in John chapter 13, he says, by this they will know you are my disciples. That is, the first step in evangelism is not given by the evangelist preaching to the lost, but the first step of evangelism is the body of Christ. They will know you're my disciples by your what? Love for one another. I've often referred to that as the 11th commandment. And this is an essential component to what it means to be a community of faith. We cannot live, exist for the benefit of those outside of the church if we don't even know how to function together as the church. And so I believe that these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 will set us on a path to a right understanding of what it means to be a community, and what it means to live life intentionally together around the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul begins in verses 12 through 14, and I want to include verse 27, uh, defining this very reality that we are the body of Christ. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Notice, we're not the body of the church. The church is the body. Christ is the head. We are the body of Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I believe what Paul is trying to state for us here is that it is one in one spirit. It gives us a great insight into the meaning of baptism of the spirit, which is such a controversial uh, and I think uh, an, an issue that's theologically confused in the church uh, often, that what it means to be baptized in the Spirit means that we are baptized or immersed. I believe baptism of the Spirit happens at regeneration. When we are born again, we are born again, not into a vacuum, but born again into a family. Baptism means immersion in two. But notice, he says, we, for in one Spirit, we're all baptized. So it doesn't matter whether you felt it or not. If you were truly born again, 
you were born again into the spirit of Christ. But then he goes on to say, uh, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. I think a great analogy is if you think about air, we have air all around us, but in order to live, we have to actually breathe it into us. And so I think that that immersion into the spirit, we are in Christ, but we also believe that Christ is what? In us. And so we are, we are baptized into the spirit and we are called to be again and again, what? Filled with the spirit. And so I, I believe that's what Paul's is, is hitting here. And this is key to actually being in the community of faith that God has called us to. In order to actually be a, a, a witness for Christ to the world, to exist for the world, we must be empowered by his spirit to be that witness. For the body does not consist of many of one member, but of many. And then look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that the individual member and its function do not define the body. The body gives context to the individual member. That is that the body is what gives context to each one of our uniqueness. Your specific gifting does not define you. Christ defines you. In other words, I, I think that we often get confused by that when we think about the gifts of the Spirit, which Paul addresses fully in the letters of the Corinthians. It's not the individual gifts that the Spirit gives. The gift that the Spirit gives is the Spirit himself, and the Spirit is sovereign to distribute as he sees fit. I think it's super important that we remember that the Spirit is not a force to be wielded, but he is one of the Godhead that should be worshipped and honored. And it is his prerogative to gift the church as he sees fit and to distribute. Uh, it, what, is, what is powerful here is that Paul is saying we are all received the same spirit and he, and he works through us uh, manifesting the very reality of Jesus uniquely through each of us as we are designed by God uh, and as we become submitted to him, yielded to him, uh, and yielded to one another as servants, to, uh, servants for Christ. Uh, and by this, they will know that we are his disciples. Now, here's what I want us uh, to be thinking about, because what does it mean to be the body of Christ? In Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28, it says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There's that twofold again, immersed into Christ, now are filled with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we all have this singular reality if indeed we have been born again. That is that we are, we are baptized into the life of Christ and we are filled with his life by his spirit. So that reality, the existence of the church involves a repetition of the incarnation. The existence of the church involves a repetition of the incarnation. What I mean by that is the very thing I said when we started the book of Acts, that Acts is not the Acts of the apostles, but it is the continued Acts of Jesus Christ through his church, would be a better title, actually. And I think that this is important, that we are today to be continuing the very work that Jesus did while he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago, the church is meant to embody that. That's why Jesus said, it's good that I go to my father, for when I go to my father, I will send to you another helper, the spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all truth, and he will bring to remembrance all that I've said, and he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He also said, he said, greater works than these will you do. Why? Because here, Jesus is when 2,000 years ago, it was God's spirit in one body, but now through, his, through the work of the cross and through the sending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is able to empower millions who become 
the embodiment of his very work on earth. So I think it's important for us to ask the question then, uh, because if the existence of the church involves a repetition of the incarnation, and if I was to even define discipleship for you, I would say discipleship is simply the disciplined habit of thinking and acting in Christ. He is the source of our unity, for he is the head of the church. So we have, it says, but you have the mind of Christ, wrote Paul. Do you think that? Are you, are you convinced of that? Uh, I think this is important. Uh, when we think of the church as a, a place that is to be a representation, that, that incarnational living means that we are to reflect the person of Jesus, that's deeply convicting for us. Because if I was to ask you, which I've asked you guys many times, but I'll ask you again, if someone was to ask you what Jesus is like, would you be comfortable saying he's like me? Would you? I never get yes. And yet, that's exactly what Scripture says. What did Paul say? Paul is a, was a born-again believer just like you and I. He wasn't special. Okay, he was. But nonetheless, <laughs> he said he was the least of all, uh, the worst of sinners. And yet, he was born again, and he said, imitate me. Paul would write, as I imitate Christ. In other words, the more yielded we are to the person of Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit, the more fully we will reflect him. And we may never feel like we're worthy of reflecting him, but that is exactly how Jesus reveals himself to the world. The church is the visible representation of the invisible God. And I think it's important, as Karl Barth, um, who said that without the knowledge of God, there is no meaningful togetherness um, for human beings. In other words, we have to have a right knowledge of Jesus, um, a right yieldedness to him that he might make himself known to the world, and it's what actually brings meaningful togetherness to us. So what does it mean to be the body of Christ? How are we to reflect the person of Jesus as a community of faith? What does that identification with him look like? Well, all we have to consider is Jesus's physical body from 2,000 years ago. And what were the two significant marks of his life when he walked on the earth? I would say that we could say that he was identified in two very distinct ways. The first was his absolute and total identification with the Father. And I think that teaches us a lot of what, how we should be in our absolute identification with him. He would say, I only speak those things which please the Father. He says to Philip, the night of his betrayal, he says, when Philip says, Lord, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He says he was so fully identified with the Father that he says to look at me is to look at God, is essentially what Jesus was saying. And what, Jesus was, was, what was so shocking about Jesus was not that people saw God in the man, but they saw man as God intended man to be, which was perfectly surrendered which then became a revelation of the very heart and the nature of God. And here's the, here's the profound reality with Jesus. Even Jesus on, on the cross, when he was being nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that moment, he was uttering the words that define the heart of the Father. He only spoke those things which pleased the Father, which means that it was the Father's heart to bring forgiveness. So our complete identification with Christ means that we will look at the world with the eyes of Christ. We will love the way that Christ loved. We will serve the way that Christ served. We will be a reflection of what God is like by our absolute surrender to Jesus. And if that sounds like, whoa, that's, that's too much pressure, it is a lot of pressure. But he didn't leave us to our own devices. He fills us with his spirit. 
So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's the only way in which Christ can be known through the body. So on one side, it's total identification with Christ. But on the other side, look at Jesus. He was fully identified with the Father, but he also was what? fully identified with man. This is why he, we call him our sympathetic high priest. He suffered and endured temptation in all ways so that he could be our sympathetic high priest. He was God enough to save us, but man enough to relate to us. And I think that we need to understand this as a church, that we are to be identified with the broken, with the hurting, that we are to give ourselves, because Jesus didn't just identify with humanity. He identified with our lowest point, our sin. I always like to use the illustration of his baptism. His baptism was a baptism of repentance. John did not want to baptize Jesus. He's like, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, let it be so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. And as he was baptized into this baptism of repentance, the one who was without sin, identifying fully with sinful humanity, the heavens opened up and the, and the spirit like a dove descended upon his head and, and the voice of heaven spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What was the father pleased with? He was pleased with the son's total identification with sinful, broken humanity. That is profound. And that shows us what it means to be the body of Christ means that we will be fully identified with Jesus and we will be fully identified with people. That is that we are to be a reflection of God's love to a lost world that says God is not content to exist without you. That he chose us that through us he might save others. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. The ministry of Jesus through his physical body on earth is continued in the ministry of his body, the church. It is the same ministry. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I think that that should sum up what it means to be the body of Christ is that we have to live this out, identified with Christ. We're not called to cloister ourselves and protect ourselves from the world. We are called to be a conduit by which the love of Jesus is made known to the world. And so those two identifications. We can't escape humanity by our identification with Jesus. We actually now have the power to bring transformation to humanity as Jesus works through us to save others. And I think that that is a beautiful reality. So what does Paul tell us? If that's what it means to be the body of Christ, well, then how do we actually fulfill that? And he goes on uh, to tell us, Paul writes to the Corinthians in verses 15 and 16, and again in verse 21, that first of all, we need one another. I think that this is important. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We need one another. We have to live life together. This is the reality, is that we live in a culture that is driven it is driven by this idea of individual autonomy. Our entire culture is built upon this lie that has literally unraveled human existence as we know it. Our, our loneliness, our isolation, it is an all-time... We live longer, we have more than we've ever had before. We, we have all these things at our fingertips and yet we're even less happy. Uh, suicide is at an all-time high. People feel isolated from one another. We need human relationships. We have replaced human relationships with technology, with social media. It's not helped us. And the fact is, is that as a church, we have to live differently. 
The church can't have its primary function uh, be connection through Instagram. You're not, you're not, you're not a part of the church if your only, your only uh, connection to it is through watching the video podcast later in the week because you don't feel like going on Sunday. There are some people that can't go to church. Uh, that, that's, their only, that's their only way of staying connected to the body at large. But that's not the reality of the majority of people at Dora Pope. And I think that we need one another. And there are two attitudes that significantly hurt the community that I want us to, that I want us to note that Paul brings uh, into, in, into focus for us. In verses 15 and 16, the first attitude that truly hurts the community is insecurity. And then in verse 21, uh, the attitude that hurts the community is independence. First of all, in insecurity, he says, listen, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, Uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So it doesn't matter how insecure you are about what it is that you have to contribute to the community. uh, It doesn't make you any less a part of the body of Christ. Uh, And and secondly, he says, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any less a part of the body. So this insecurity, which could be based either on a feeling of not being needed or feeling unimportant or even worse, I think what it often becomes, which is a resentment of not being made, uh, not, not having been made or gifted differently. Uh, and, and I think that these two realities play, I mean, listen, I'm, a, I'm the preaching pastor for Door of Hope, and I still struggle with insecurity. I'm extremely, you got everyone staring, why is everyone staring at me? No. <laughs> um, but I think, I think insecurity still plays deeply. It's, it's, it's those moments where we get in the flesh, where we forget that, that God has empowered us by his spirit to live differently. And I think that those insecure, insecure moments happen when we feel like we have nothing to contribute. And I think that falls, that, that actually is the outcome of our cultural moment, which uh, is a culture that is driven by spectacle. And, and we love our celebrities. And because of that celebrity culture, it's, it is fed into the church where the belief is, is that the one who is significant is the one who has the microphone. Uh, and that's just simply not true. Too many pastors fall to, to uh, remind us again and again of how, just how human we all are. Uh, but I think it's a fundamental flaw in how we think about church because we think, I mean, I was talking with Darcy about this the other day, with, when the church, as the church has grown, this sense of like, what's my part in it? How, do, how am I a part of it? But that's the thing. The enemy wants you to believe that you have nothing to contribute. And it's a lie. The enemy also wants you to be discontent with what it is that you have to contribute by making you jealous of what someone else has to contribute. I mean, that, that also, as I shared on Wednesday night, Wesley's statement about Instagram is insta-jealous. We constantly are driven in a society by, by wanting what others have and feeling like our life doesn't measure up to the lives that we see illustrated for us on, on our different social media platforms. And, and, but we, look, we do the same thing when we come to church. We kind of measure, one, measure ourselves against others, and it can create in us these deep-level these deep insecurities. Like, I'm not smart enough. I don't, I, I, I'm not godly enough. Um, I, I don't know anybody. All these things that can keep us in the dark. And, and I, I just want to remind all of you that every single person, for the church to be the church, you need to understand that what empowers a, a community of faith is not the eloquence of the preacher, but what empowers a community of faith is the embodiment of the Holy Spirit as we yield to him and yield to one another. And each one of you matter. 
I mean, if the gospel says anything, it says this, centrally and supremely, God cares about you. He's crazy about you. And the more you believe that he loves you, that he is, that on your worst stinking day, he's crazy about you, the more you believe that, the more you will step out in faith to become the man, the woman that God has called you to be. That insecurity is a real thing. And I, man, and I know that I, we are so driven by this desire to be the, the thing that we're not in the moment. When I first went into ministry, um, I was a worship leader. And then after long, I'm like, well, I kind of want to be the, want to be a preacher. And then, but then I would start preaching. And then I'm like, no, I want to be a worship leader. And then, and then I didn't know what to do. So I just started a church where I could do both. Um, and sometimes that's just what you got to do. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that the, the fact is, is that it's, it's easy to always think the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, and, and our lack of contentment, I mean, this is why it says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, I think that what we need to learn is how to grow where we're planted. And I think that there, you know, God may have a different path for you than what you're currently experiencing, but you haven't learned to grow uh, where, where you're planted and therefore you're not being blessed. And, and I want you to experience the blessing of the Lord, and he loves you. And that, the greatest gift that God gives is God himself. That's the gift. And the more we understand that, the more we will be okay with where it is that he places us within the context of our community. So insecurity is a huge, is a huge issue within the church, uh, and I think it hinders people from connecting on a deep level. But the second one is independence. And this is the other aspect, um, which is an attitude of superiority on the part of some members toward others. And listen, over the years of Door of Hope, there are self-selective uh, um, you know, prophets that have come in. Um, you know, they're, they're like, I don't belong to any local church because I belong to all churches. I'm like, so you don't belong to anyone, is what you're saying. But you're going to come in and tell us how we should do church, but you're not actually a part of the church. You have no authority to speak anything into the community that if you're not invested in that community. Uh, and I think that, that this is, I, and I, we've had this, I've had this multiple occasions, conversations with these, with these self-elected prophets of the Lord or apostolic giftings. Like, I have an apostolic gifting, that's why I can't commit. No, you're just non-committal. I wouldn't call that apostolic. Uh, and so I'm like, try being a part of a community because I'm going to get to this in just a second, but the reality is, is that our gifts are identified in the context of community. You don't get to tell people what you are. Others will identify that as you give yourself to others. And so I think that that is a really important, once again, it's a part of our individualistic age. It's like someone comes up to me and be like, I'm called to preach. I'm like, well, great. Has anyone been called to listen? Uh, so, I mean, this is, we, we, we're, so, we're so quick to place ourselves in, in places that God hasn't put us, but it's because we're not focusing on, on humility in the spirit, but focusing on what it is that we think would be best for us. And it is Christ's right. He's the head, which means it's his right to identify that reality. Um, so we need one another. And this is... It's amazing that in many congregations, people get the idea that they do not need the rest of the body. I think that this, this comes out all the time. I, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Like, you can't say that. The ch like, the church is the bride of... You, can't, that's your, you say you love Jesus, but you hate his bride. That's, that's, nothing will bring out the wrath of a man faster than you saying something mean about his, about his wife. It might be the only thing that might get a punch in the face from me. Uh, and I, I think that that's the, 
I, I think that this is a reality is that we're so quick to insult the bride of Christ and yet claim Christ for ourselves. And it's not okay. It's not what the gospel says that the church is the means by which Jesus will make himself known to the world. And I think that this easy beliefism that's driven by individualistic desires turning God into some sort of cosmic Santa Claus is not beneficial nor helpful. I think that what we need to understand is that Jesus saves us not into a vacuum, but into a family, and you don't get to pick your family. So if you're living the Christian life independently from others, you are reducing your own effectiveness and that of the body as a whole. I think that's important. We need one another. Secondly, uh, what we need to understand is that we are different from one another. Look what it says in verses 17 through 20. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Um, what is powerful about this statement is, is, is Paul is, is, is striking something really profound, which is the uniqueness through unity. Each member is unique, distinctive, irreplaceable, unrepeatable, but our uniqueness is discovered through our relationship to others. This is why the church fathers uh, were very, very careful in the language that they used to even to describe the Trinity. And I think that a right theology of God actually leads to a right theology of community. Uh, and God himself is a community within himself. And what did, the, what did the early church fathers refer to God as? One God, three what? Persons, not three individuals, and also not three hats. <laughs> it's one God, three persons. I, I think uh, Colin Gunton in his, in his book on, the, uh, on a Trinitarian faith, uh, he actually defines this really beautifully in which he said uh, that individual uh, is defined by our separateness from others, where the word person is defined by our, our, it's our uniqueness defined by our relationship to others. Society wants to promote individualism. I will be defined by my separation from others, uh, where the church, the right reflection within the church should be, I am defined by my relationship to others. We discover our uniqueness through our relationship to others. We discover our giftings. This is how gifts are identified within the community of faith, is that they should come up naturally through the community. Uh, I never would never have selected to be a preacher, ever. Uh, that was something that was identified over time through people, uh, as I was, I, was, I was a performer, uh, as a worship leader, uh, I, and traveling around, I've, I started having people come up to me and say, you should consider preaching. And I, and I would be like, why? And they'd be like, because you're talking more than you're singing. And I'm like, well, is that preaching or is that the gift of monologue? I'm, it's very, uh, by the way, preaching is a conversation. Uh, monologue is not. Uh, and and I, I think that, that there, was, there were things that were being identified. And then it was that, that identification. Then even the courage to step out and start a church, it was already fully identified. There was that, that through the teaching ministry that God um, God gave to me, there, was pe there were people, there was community that was birthed out of it. And it was through the context of community that gave me the courage to step into that gift. It is through community that we discover who God's called us to be. And we need to be close enough to one another to discover that. 
Uh, and that is super important for us to understand. That, that means that where you live, your uniqueness uh, comes to unity, but that means where you live and with the people with whom you live is the very place God wants you to exercise the gift he has given you to do the work of the church. And here's the thing, is that, and this is something that Cameron and I are going to hit on over the next three weeks, because they're, and Cam is the one that brought this up, so I give him all credit for this, but we've seen a growing disconnect in people's understanding of the church. People will say things like this to Cam, who's over community groups. They'll say, man, I'm really struggling uh, with church right now. I feel really disconnected. Uh, and I'm like, really? And he's like, and tell me about that. But, you know, uh, but I love my community group. But your community group is the church. Like, they, why are you separating the community group from the church? See, that's the idea, is that church has now become defined for them as something that happens on Sunday that's difficult to get to with their kids. Uh, or they feel like they've heard everything that I've had to say, which is very possible too. But that's, that's beside the point. It's not about that. We come together on Sunday uh, as, as a reflection of what God is doing in our lives. That's why I, I said in, in regards to worship, if we don't worship seven days a week, we don't worship one day a week. We're coming together to celebrate our life in Christ together, but then we scatter. We're following that even that apostolic pattern. They gathered in the temple and from house to house. So your community group is not something that is different from the church. It is the church. This is all church life. You are the body of Christ. He is the head. And so we have to be very careful on how we separate these things because what it ends up being is we compartmentalize um, in that we might come up with reasons and excuses for not being, not being fully engaged or being partially engaged where it suits us. And I think that being a part of the church is, is sacrifice. It, it's a sacrifice to give up your Sunday morning and to come into town. And, and uh, it's a sacrifice when you got a bunch of littles at home uh, and that's part of the, the Christian life is that we're giving ourselves away for the good of God's kingdom. We want him to be known and exalted. Uh, we are different from one another, and those differences are discovered in the context of community. And I think that's a beautiful thing, which brings me to the final reality that Paul declares here in verses 22 through 26, which is that we are to care for one another. He says on, in verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater, greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So he, he begins in, in, in this question of how do we care for one another? He begins with this, this metaphor of a part of the body being weaker uh, than the others, but that that weaker part is indispensable. And I think that that is a very simple illustration to define for us that at any given point within the church life, there are people at all different places in their walk with the Lord. And the weaker Christian is just one who is, is, is young, often in, in the faith. I was talking with someone who was saying how challenging it was when, they were, when Door of Hope first started because it just seemed like everyone was so immature in the faith. And it was true. There was, this, uh, there was a, just an unrefined quality to a bunch of millennials that were just trying to figure out again what it meant to follow Jesus or figure out for the first time. And with that came a lot of messiness. 
and a lot of mistakes made. And I think that the part of that care for one another is just recognizing that that's always gonna be the reality within the church. If the church is effectively evangelistic, you should always have people at all levels of maturity um, within the church, which means that you're gonna have some messes on your hands. And, and they're not gonna grow in their relationship with Jesus, grow into maturity if we shun them because they're unrefined or they seem overly sensitive or, or weak in their disposition toward Christ or, you know, the, the ways that we can get tired of one another when, the, when it's the person struggling with the same old problem year after year after year. Like, why don't you just get over that? But I think we should remember the wise words of Eugene Peterson. If we remember that people are sinners, we won't be surprised when they sin. I think it would humble us in the ways that we deal with one another, that we are all broken people, that we're both on one side sinners and on the other side we're called saints. And we need to help people understand their identity in Christ. And the way that we help them understand their identity in Christ is that we reflect Christ to them in the way that he loves us. And I think that, that is a, that's a component. So there's the weaker Christian, but then there's also, there's also the less noticeable. And I think that this is, this is an element that Paul is saying too, that those who receive the greatest honor are not those who are seen the most. And I think that that'll be so true. We're told that there will be a day when we will give an account to Christ for what we have done in the body, for every word that we've spoken, every thought that we've thought, every action that we have, that we have taken. And I think the people that are gonna receive the greatest honor are gonna be the Christians you've never heard of. It's gonna be, it's gonna be the, the, the little old lady that faithfully prayed on her knees every day for the church. That, that God would redeem it that we didn't even know was happening. And I, I want to just take a moment to just honor and thank all of you that actually make Door of Hope happen. Because Door of Hope, first of all, there's a large staff. Uh, you should be very grateful that I'm not doing the finances. You should be very grateful that I have nothing to do with the administration. Uh, you, should be, you should be grateful that there is a large pastoral staff that helps carry the burden of meeting with people and caring for this community. You should be very grateful that there are tons and tons of people that aren't paid, uh, lay elders and, and just lay people within the church that give up time every week to lead community groups, to serve on Sundays. And, and that's a huge group of who you are right now in front of me. And we just want to say the church wouldn't exist without you. Uh, and there's great honor in that. And um, often it can go unnoticed. And we just want to, even over this series, want to notice it and say thank you. Like God is, God is greatly honored when we function together as a community. Because what makes people stay at a church, we, we, you know, they, they say that there's a three-legged stool that can cause a church to grow. Good worship, good preaching, and good children's ministry. Uh, but that doesn't sustain a church. Uh, what sustains a church is meaningful community reflecting the love of Jesus at every level, the messiness, all of it. That's beautiful. That's, that's what makes the church truly uh, a, a witness to those outside of it. How do we care for one another? I, I think that this, uh, this, the final thing that he points out is not only do we need to recognize that there are people at, at different places people that are, that are weaker, that means newer in their faith, that are struggling in their faith. We gotta care for those people. We need to acknowledge the people that are serving faithfully that go unnoticed. But we also need to care for those that are hurting. Uh, and I think that this is really important. If one member suffers, it says, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I think that, you know, another way of phrasing this, the pain of one is the pain of all. I always like to remind people that when you, you know, Paul also says a little leaven leavens the lump. 
when we don't sin, just as we're not born again into a vacuum, we don't sin in a vacuum either. That sin impacts the whole. Uh, and I, I think when I uh, just recently, we had another, another pastor uh, nosedive uh, locally and it, it affects the church. It like, hurts the church because what we do affects one another. It impacts one another. And I think that it's also important for us to understand that there are people that are hurting and suffering around us. And, and one of the things that is so challenging, and I, I've heard this as a critique before, is that of Christians not having the patience to walk in other people's pain. And, and that, that, that hurts uh, when we realize that we fail people uh, in, in that area. How we handle suffering as a community speaks volumes to those outside. We need to remember that the difference between a Christian and a non-believer is not that we suffer less, but how we actually interpret the suffering. And that is that how we believe that in spite of our suffering, that Jesus is with us and for us and will never leave us nor forsake us, and that there is a future hope of total victory. That's what the community should be reflecting, and we reflect that when we enter into people's suffering, not when we avoid it, because it's an inconvenience to us. This is why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think that he doesn't just say that, we, that when one member suffers, all suffer together, but if one member is honored, we don't have the right to resist honoring them. We are to celebrate the victories. That shows also a place of humility within the community, uh, is that we're excited when people do well rather than jealous or disgruntled. And so these realities for us as a church we are the body of Christ, which means we are the body, he is the head. We are to reflect the life that he lived 2,000 years ago. He desires by his Holy Spirit to live through us today. It is revealed by the fact that we come to acknowledge that we need one another. In the context of community, we discover that we are different from one another, and that's beautiful. That we are called to care for one another. And so in closing... The church fulfills its ministry not by calling attention to itself, but by pointing away from itself to the fullness of Christ. And this is done as we maintain unity, exercise our diversity, and grow in maturity. Jesus loves you. He wants to be revealed through you, and he wants it to be done in the context of the community. May we live life together that Jesus would be honored and that the people around us in the city of Portland would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Amen?